Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. For more information, or to find the show notes, you can head over to shotguntory.com. So I'm excited about today's interview. I have Andre LaRue in studio with me. He's the managing director of IKS Cultural Consulting. Before that, he was managing director of Samro Foundation and the list of other support work that he has done in the industry for the arts is unbelievable and I don't want to read it out. So I'm going to get him to tell us a little bit about it. But first, Andre, welcome. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you for coming in. Let me just start by saying that IKS Cultural Consulting works with Concerts SA for the Digital Mobility Fund, which is obviously the number one reason that I had asked you in is to talk a little bit more about that and other potential funding opportunities for artists in the industry. But I want to really start at that beginning. So for people to get a kind of understanding of what you do and have done in the industry. I'll get to the detail of what I do and I've done in the industry. But sometimes, you know, we do a lot of administration to make sure there's grants and there's funding, there's reports, and you've had to fill in those reports. <laughs> there's financials, there's um, all the technical is done and the boxes are ticked and the invoices are done. But sometimes you go to a gig and you realize why you do it. Besides reading the reports and being in Stellenbosch at uh, Daisy Jones and seeing you and Emma on stage was better than reading any report because... Yeah. We funded in the last round 70 projects, so I couldn't go to 70 good gigs. Yeah. But when I was in Cape Town over the weekend and a couple of days, I went to about eight gigs. And your gig, the way you two balanced your COVID experiences through song, through good writing and uh, three guitars, gave me a better sense of what I do. Amazing. And why we do it, you know? And all of us are music people that work with me. So, who, who am I and what did I do? And I'm, look at my LinkedIn, there's a lot there, so I won't <laughs> go through all of that. <laughs> um, so, so what, what I'm now, as you said, Managing Director of IKS Cultural Consulting. And IKS, uh, our biggest project is the Concerts SA project, which I used to run when I was at SAMRO, and I ran the SAMRO Foundation for 15 years. But before I get to the foundation, what IKS currently does, and we started in 2004, and then 2006 I went to work for Samro and I ran it on the side. But then I left during COVID of to, um, March 2020, mm. you know, because the president said we'll be locked down for a month. And, and I was running a music project, which uh, they kind of killed, which is Concerts SA. And then we pivoted to digital mobility, to research, um, running certain projects and so forth. So... What I do at IKS now, Concerts SA is the biggest one, mm. and there's four things under Concerts SA, research, and we've done quite a bit of research, the Digital Mobility Fund, which was a physical mobility fund. We used to do a schools program and we used to do exchange, but like COVID has put a halt on that. Yeah. I'm on the board of the Market Theatre Foundation, and I'm on the board of Music in Africa, the Audit and Risk Committee. One of the founder members of Music in Africa about eight years ago. Wow. And that's active in about 30 countries on the continent. So I still help them with stuff on an ad hoc basis. And I'm also part of the African Culture Fund, which is based in Mali. I'm the Southern African Focal Point. 
So that's some of the stuff we do as IKS. We also host the World Jazz Conference. Yeah. We did it online, actually 150 people from about 30 countries and with the Lincoln Center, Amersfoort. We did that in 2020, we helped them in 2021, and we're doing it in 2022. But all of that stuff for IKS is on the IKS website, www.iksafrica.com. Yeah. Samro ran the foundation, used to sponsor 100 bursaries a year, fund 47 music schools, the biggest scholarship in the country, and the music archive that dates back to the 1920s. So that I did for 15 years and ran a range of projects. And it was nice that I got a salary because I got to do the other things that I loved. Yeah. There I was on the board of the Kankar for seven years. I was the chairman of Moshito and a founder member. I was the chairman of the Arterial Network of South Africa. I was on the board of the UNISA Music Foundation and the Stellenbosch Music Center and chairman of business in Arts South Africa. Oh my gosh, I mean, it's unbelievable. But what I want to know is what led you into the arts? Are you a musician yourself? No. So how did it happen? I'm a failed actor and I get to make speeches. So <laughs> I did community theater on the, in the Western Cape on the Cape Flats. I'm actually a policy person. Yeah. So my theater group was part of the ACTAG, WestAG, National Arts Initiative pro- um, processes leading up to the RDP, the Reconstruction and Development Program. So I was writing about theatre for my undergraduate university degree and my postgraduate degree, and the theatre Getwise players that I was part of, they were activists. Mm-hmm. So they said, oh, who's, who, who can represent us at these discussions? Andre, you go. Who can represent us at the ANC Cultural Policy Desk? Okay, Andre, you go. So I was an actor that got involved in policy, that got involved in studying governance and government Mm. and then worked for local government in the Western Cape, uh, provincial government in the Eastern Cape, national government in Pretoria. I ran the music industry task team about 22 years ago and then I worked for the National Arts Council. Uh, Those are the parts I didn't mention earlier. So it was by default. Oh, my God. I applied for the job I got to in the Eastern Cape, did a transfer that was provincial culture stuff, and then the others were just people asking me, can you do this? Or someone saying, shit, we need a chairman. Who? Okay, Andre, you. Mm-hmm. Or then somebody else like fucking up in an organization and doing something wrong and the board getting together and, oh, we need somebody else. And like, okay. So it wasn't like raising the hand. Yeah. But like by default, who else is in the room? And maybe because I'm a big guy physically. I don't know. Well, I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to get you on the podcast a number of times because there are so many things I want to ask you but I know we have to focus what are some of the challenges that musicians have at the moment making a living being able to support themselves it's a difficult one because the challenges are so many Mm. and musicians are my friends Ricky Rick passed and uh, from some of the stuff that I read it was a, a rope in his house and he was depressed and double HP was my friend yeah. and I was a rope in his house and he was depressed and I just I just hope we manage to support each other so that we can get out of the depression and there's no ropes and other stuff involved and I think that's one of the biggest things that artists are dealing with at the moment yeah. it's not just about money it's about a sense of self-worth it's just about a sense of loss loss of career loss of work loss of collaboration, loss of creativity, 
I was doing some work with the Turquoise Harmony Institute because there's artists that want money and can apply for money and mm-hmm. there are those that are at the bread line and don't know how to apply and the money out there is so little. So we did food parcels and I was talking to Nikki from Nikki's, one of the only black women-run venues for more than 20 years. I really love Nikki. <laughs> As the chat went along, she said, um, many artists... Although we can do this food parcels and some are going to get it, some artists won't stand in the food queue because of the self-esteem, because of people taking a picture and putting it on social media. And that's not how they want to be seen. Yeah. I was at a gig with, I wasn't going to say it, but, but actually Sapir Shaburi is a drummer, fantastic drummer, plays with everyone. And he got one of our mobility fund gigs. And he said, oh, I'm glad you're here. Cause I was standing way at the back. I was trying to hide away. And then he said, I was standing in a food queue. I was wondering if I'm still going to get work. And I got a gig for myself and my music, but I'm also playing on so many other people's gigs. So self-worth, mental health, a sense of feeling worthwhile to your family and in society, because artists play for other people. They express the feelings of people around them. And not being able to do that has been devastating to them personally. So those are some of the major issues we're, doing, we're dealing with. And if one wanted to really know, mm. we did an impact study because I told you to do research. So yeah. sometimes it's nice to disassociate from the personal, talk about the research, mm. you know, to cry over the microphone. So the, we did an impact study of COVID-19 on the live music sector, mm. also on the website for the South African Cultural Observatory. And it lists all the challenges. Yeah. List the mental health, list the access to funding, list the difficulties of getting funding. And then it lists also the bigger institutions that are crashing, like the Gearhouse, which is in business rescue. When an entity that big, we think it's too big to fail, then not only artists, but the ability to run festivals are gone. The ability to get certain equipment is gone. Technicians are leaving the country, that affects artists. Venues are closing, that affects artists. Promoters are leaving the sector. Three fantastic young black women I know that were promoters and I had to find permanent jobs. So there's what affects artists. Mm. There's what affects technical. There's what affects the, the promoters and that affects the ecosystem. When a venue shuts down, how many artists don't benefit? So for more detail, have a look at that impact study. Yeah. We did 697 survey interviews. It's kind of academic research, but we added case studies because we thought you can do the quantitative data, but you need to know what it means. Mm. So there's case studies on Gearhouse, there's case studies with certain artists, with promoters and venue owners, and one can flip through that and get a sense as to what the impact's been across the sector. Gwen Ansel is our research team leader. When we talk to the SACO people, data, analysis, figures, money lost, income, and then we talk about what does all of this mean? Yeah. What are the intangibles? What is, you know, the quantitative versus qualitative research? Mm. And when I walk through a mall and I look at cash crusaders or cash converters or any of those, I get really sad because you see the amount of music equipment that's there. Yeah. So how much has been lost? A lot has been lost. About 50% in November of 2020, 50% of our sector said they were leaving. That's lost. And it went on. When someone has sold their bass guitar 
or their bass guitar amp and their Apple Mac and the recording equipment which you see, how much has been lost? A career has been lost. Yeah. I'm sorry I spoke a bit much on that question. No, I, it's given me goosebumps. Like, I mean, this is exactly, for me, the podcast is is about all of these things, is why when it's so hard, do people keep doing it? And that's what I'm invested in, is keeping people doing it. Some of that funding that you guys provide access to helps some musicians certainly keep doing it. Digital Mobility Fund. Oh, let me focus here. <laughs> <laughs> what is that for? Let's just talk a little bit about that. We ran Concerts SA since 2013, and we did more physical mobility, yeah. and we supported about 12,000 artists in 11 Saudic countries and the nine South African provinces. 2020, it ended, and then um, we were like, okay, what the hell do we do next? And so we don't give the money that we had back to the Norwegians. We developed the Digital Mobility Fund, mm -hmm. and before that we did Digital Futures. And that we published in July 2020, and incidentally, we're busy with the research now again and the surveys. So please ask you guys to fill in the survey. <laughs> yes, I'll put a link on the show notes. And after doing the research, we were like, okay, now we know what we need to do. We need to get the money to artists to do some live streaming. And we call it live streaming, but most of it's really delayed broadcast. Mm -hmm. And so the Digital Mobility Fund was exactly that, to fund concerts, um, artists to be able to do concerts. Many didn't have the money or the seed funding to be able to produce a show, yeah. record the show, and put it online. And at that stage, the audiences were limited. We didn't know what the hell we were doing with the first digital mobility fund, so we kind of put those rules together quickly and put the thing out. And we had about 120 applications, yeah. and we could fund 40. And the 40 was to fund artists applying for themselves, to put their own budgets together, to put their own tech specs together, their own recording stuff together, and to put clips of their music together, and to put a profile on music in Africa. Yeah. And you could do it on a cell phone. Yeah. Why we did it in that way was not only that we could get money to artists, was that a little bit of a hope, you know? If you're starting to write about how you put a gig together, the technical stuff, who you're gonna work with, it got some people out of that dark place of being alone. Yeah. And it got them to think structurally beyond their manager about how do I put a gig together? How do I want to be seen? How do I want to record? We had money for 40 grants, but there was about 60 wonderful projects. And it was on this flip chart in, in, in my office. And I managed to then, I found around and I got some money from the Swiss Levita Foundation through Provalvisha. And we could fund 60 grants. And I was like, yes, you wow. know, because <laughs> I knew the people on that list. Yeah. So we knew we could do more. So anyway, it worked well, apparently. That was the DMF1. Then we did the DMF2. The second digital mobility fund, we got funding from uh, the National Arts Council. And we decided to isolate that funding because the National Arts Council was, let's say, a little bit complex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there were lots of problems. They had like a month long sitting over there yes, and a I lot of challenges. That. But um, that gave us the ability to fund 70 projects and a whole range of artists benefited from that. So the third mobility fund we did in November last year. Yeah. And there we funded another 70 projects. And we've just done another call out 
Uh, we're doing adjudication in two weeks' time. By the end of the month, we'll be funding 50 projects, but holding thumbs, I might have got another donor on board. Um, and then we can fund maybe another 20 to 30 projects. Wow. But one is to report on this stuff. And the reason we get you guys to do all those reports, because we've got to tell the Norwegians and Samro and the Levida Foundation and the NAC, so how much work opportunities did we create? Yeah. We created for the first Digital Mobility Fund 637 work opportunities for artists, technical crew. For the second one, we created 720 work opportunities for artists and technical crew. And just for the first two funds, that's 1,357 work opportunities for artists and technical crew. I still need to compile the stuff from the November Digital Mobility Fund and then this one. And when I look at that date, I say, yes, that's cool. So um, a lot of stream gigs, I think I've like, got like, 300, 400 stream gigs, um, a whole lot of live concerts that we funded. And in some ways... I would like to think we started to keep things going a little bit during yeah. COVID and not funding as such. I like to call it a subsidy because, as you know, our funding paid for part of what you did yeah. and you got leverage elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that's also important for artists not to think or feel in a way that's dependent. Yeah, Think about how you collaborate with others, how you get support from others. And actually, when you articulate that, in your funding application, we look at it way better. We say this dude is like, he's leveraging cameras from someone, he's getting booze from someone else, getting catering from someone else. This one has reduced the cost of the venue. Um, he's got a partner to distribute this thing much further. So um, that's more worthwhile funding. Of course, we do look at the quality of the music. We look at the budget. We look at the tech specs. If it's going to be one camera in your bedroom with your towel hanging behind, that's not so cool. Yeah. Maybe if it's three cameras, maybe if there's going to be proper editing. We also look at where it's going to be streamed, which are the ticketing platforms you're going to use. That's what we do with the Digital Mobility Fund in particular. Yeah. So now for someone who is not a fay with any of this world, but they want to apply for funding, where do you begin? I feel lucky in that I understand a little bit about the digital world and I have had a long career in the industry and I know, you know, I know what to do when applying for funding. What about someone who, who can't? Is there somewhere that they could go to do a little bit of research about these things? I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm just marketing concerts, essay, but mm. join the Facebook page because we post opportunities as much as possible. Yes. We should do more podcasts like this so we could say things in simple language. Yes. <laughs> it's not just to like the page, but to follow. Follow the concerts essay. Follow the NAC. The National Arts Council puts out a lot of stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of different groups. So NAC, concerts essay, Samro. Samro also puts quite a bit of stuff on the um, Twitter, Facebook, and all of that. So that's where you start by looking at those different opportunities. Yeah. There isn't a lot of funding out there. Yeah. And the funding out there, sometimes say to people, where do you start? You start by doing it. Mm -hmm. You start by just like when you see an opportunity, fill it in, you know? And sometimes that's the hardest part. Yeah. <laughs> With ours, it's simpler because you could even do it on your phone and upload documents and links from your phone because we did it that way. Mm. 
if you read through our impact study, you will see the government ones were not that great because mm. they didn't work that well. And they asked for things that many artists don't have, which is like tax clearance certificates, you know, and yeah. uh, they asked for proof of contract. Tori, I don't know about you, but many artists I know when they go to a gig, it's confirmed sometimes by a WhatsApp or an email. 100%. <laughs> now, how are you going to do that as proof of, <laughs> proof of a contract? Yeah. Even international gigs, and many have lost money there. So they couldn't prove loss of earnings. And sometimes the government's relief systems didn't work. Mm. There was also a fantastic relief fund done by Pro Alvesha, also through the Levida Foundation. Over a six-month period, they funded almost 600 artists. Wow. consistently, um, every month over the six-month period. Wow. And we may be helping them do the assessment of that project. But that was also about who's in the know. And then, so join the Pro Alvisha page as well yeah. and follow those pages. And just like, hunt for stuff online and start applying online because then you become part of those databases. And when you've applied for something, and either the NAC writes back and they say, we can't fund you, but if you'd like to, 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 to follow us, click here and subscribe to our database. Any artist, that's important to do. Yeah. And don't apply once, don't apply twice, apply every time. Yeah. On Friday, I went to a gig and I was solicited for funding five times. Yeah. And this one dude says to me, dude, how come this was the first time that you guys gave me money? I've been applying for so many years. And I said, uh, when exactly did you apply the last time? He said in 2016. I said, we got three call-outs in 2016. There were three sets of adjudicators. You were one of, I don't know how many people that applied. Yeah. If I remember what your application was now, I would be brilliant and I'm not. Yeah. So, <laughs> so please do not accost people in my position because <laughs> there's, there's a range of adjudicators that it's got to go through. Yeah. And you stand up better chance of getting the funding if you apply mm. and apply consistently. You stand a much better chance of being funded than winning the lottery. Because I mean, current round, 420 applications. I had to go through 420 applications along with all the adjudicators. And we've got 50, yeah. which is not that bad. There's, there's a chance for 50 and it might be more. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. An interesting and I think important point is for the artists who are in the know to share the information. Yes, share and to help others. Yes. So when your buddy out there says, where do I get funding? You say, you tell them, I got funding. Mm. This is what I did. Don't use my same proposal, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do it realistically. And, and you'll tell them, like, do, do, do the tech thing, get the quotes. Do you know, there are so few applications when everything is done and all the questions are asked. Yeah. There were some applications applying for a music grant and people didn't attach the music or the link to the music. And I'm like, dude, really? There's one particular clause where it says, put in your music in Africa profile. Yeah. And I could tell you about 25% of the applicants just didn't do their music in Africa profile. Yeah. So it's, it's like preparing for a gig. You're going to sound bad if you don't do some practicing beforehand. Totally. So that is an important pressure point. Once you've filled in the application, go over it and make sure that every single one of those boxes are ticked. And check it because you actually get, once you click yes and you submit, your application form comes back to you. Yeah. And you can read through the whole thing again and say, oh goodness, I left this out. 
then go back and fix it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you can go back and fix it. You can go back and fix it. Okay. And if you're not clear, there's a DMF at IKSAfrica.com. You can email. And sometimes people forget to, or they don't have time to put in the quotes because it's a short application time. Then they send the quotes afterwards. Mm -hmm. We upload the quotes. Um, they might change the links or they might change certain things. We can reopen the application form for them to fill it in again and add the stuff. Okay. Or they can send it to the DMF um, and then we can assist in terms of fixing the application, which is something we've been doing. Amazing. Yeah. And I know there's going to be so many questions that I'm not going to uh, think to ask. Um, so anyone listening, if you do have any questions you would like to be answered, a couple of things. What I would suggest is contacting me at shotguntori at gmail.com and asking me, and then we are going to do this again as well so that everybody can have the answers. Please, and to know that ours is only one pot of funds. Yes. We're not the National Arts Council and we're not government. It's ironic that a project like this is supported by Norwegians. It would be great if our government did a little bit more. Yeah, there was a journalist that called me not too long ago to... They wanted some critique of the government processes and the NSE processes. I said, mm. I'm not prepared to do so. Yeah. But what I am prepared to do is to say, in our last application round, it closed on the 8th of September. Adjudication was in mid-September. End of results was by the end of September. And by the first week of October, the first tranches of funds were paid. Yeah. So it can happen quickly. It doesn't take that long. And glad that they can communicate through you. Yeah. That will be cool. Yeah, I would love that. Well, you know, what's interesting, much discussion has been ha happening amongst artists at the moment about not just how to make money and how to make a living, but how to get people to come to shows. Because that's another big factor yeah. is the support from just South Africans in general towards the music industry and to art for artists, you know. Because when we, we talk about it, it seems that in, and this is one of the things that makes people leave, is in other countries in the world, there seems to be a better support for the arts. And I wonder how much of that filters down from the government or how much is the culture towards live music and respect for the music? Okay, that's a very big question. Yeah. Um, when we say in other countries, there's a lot of countries in the world and a lot of countries in Africa. And sometimes the models for support are quite different. Mm -hmm. I just came back two weeks ago from a 10-day trip to Mali, which is amazing, but 69 hours of transit, where I was in a little town called Segu, and there was a festival of five, six, seven thousand people, and people were supporting the music, and people were going to the shows, and they were opening shows, but it wasn't for money. It was a festival for the public and for the people in high levels of art. Yeah. Fantastic Malian musicians. I mean, the Kora was almost featured all over. Visual arts was amazing. And I think we also need to think in terms of cultural consumption, not only for economics and for buying of tickets. Yes. We do want tickets, so true. Then there's the other kinds of models in terms of getting the public and the people to participate. And there's a entity called Sound Diplomacy in the UK run by Dr. Shane Shapiro. They produce a lot of interesting research on music cities and concerts are featured in some of their research as the only African model, but often it's local governments 
that's really important, not national, not provincial, in terms of unlocking the potential for a city to be a music city. We did this piece of research, it starts with a heartbeat, which is about unlocking local government, and that's really where it starts. So I spoke to the city of Cape Town and to the deputy mayor's office and the IDP, because on the one hand, yes, artists need to get fans to their venues mm. and market themselves and artists don't always do so really well yeah. sometimes they go to a gig and they don't even tell people that they're going to be there yeah. sometimes they don't even do some marketing of a particular venue or a gig before their show takes place sometimes they don't engage well enough on social media on direct media hyping up the product themselves and expect either their manager or the venue owner or the promoter to do that on an artist level but on a lobbying and advocacy level, yeah. we need to unlock our cities. We need to unlock the nighttime economy in our cities. Some of the cities you talk about across the world, that's where the nighttime economy is taken seriously. Yes. There may be a night mayor. So Deputy Mayor of City of Cape Town, I, th- I think he's gone, I hope so. And I spoke to him about nighttime economy, live music support, and he said, Mr. LaRue, you want me to appoint a party animal in my administration? I said, yes, I want you to appoint a party animal that leaves the club slightly tipsy at 3 a.m. in the morning, notices that there isn't a loading zone in front of the club, notices that there's no visible policing around. Maybe they'll see that the street lights are dysfunctional and the place is a little bit dirty and the patrons don't have public transport to go home. And 10 o'clock the next morning, they can stumble into your office, tell you what the problems are, and talk to you about how to wake up the city at night so you can generate more revenue. So yes, appoint a party animal. Wow, wow, wow. That's a solution. That is something that can actually be done. It should be done, could be done, but you need visionary leadership. Yes. And sometimes we focus on the money, And if you listen to the budget speech and the debates around it now, there's problems of local governments, there's problems of skills, there's problems of bribery and corruption. Mm. But those aren't the biggest problems. The biggest problem we have is visionary leadership so that we can implement working, functional projects and programs in health, education, policing, and in the arts and in culture. And a lot of it is about local level. Yeah, A lot of it's like getting the basics right Potholes and electricity and water I think we do those three It'll be a better place Yeah, But for the arts As artists Join the trade union of musicians of South Africa Help them with their lobbying Work together to assist venues To be alive Engage them with programming Engage them with your podcasts Yeah <laughs> How do we support an ecosystem instead of just our own gigs and our own events? And I know it's hard. COVID has forced us to be insular. And artists are often insular. They focus on the me and the my. But really, the collaboration and defining what we need in the live music ecosystem and lobbying for it, that's where we need to get to. Wow. I feel really excited about that. Cool. Are you a member of Dimsa? No, no. (laughs) I didn't even know it existed, to be honest. Okay, I'll send you the details. Please do. Please do. I'll share those as well in the show notes. Cool. Amazing. Advice for independent artists who 
want to continue doing this despite how hard it is? Sure. I can't tell you to stay in the sector, no matter who you are, because I don't know if it's going to get better, yeah. how it's going to get better, or what's going to get better. I don't know how many dependents you have. I don't know how much your wife has been telling you to leave the sector or your husband has been saying that this just ain't working. So I don't have individual advice. Yes. (laughs) But I do think there needs to be a way that we start holding each other's hands and giving each other a call and kind of saying, like, can we do this together? Can we start co-writing? I've got all these tracks that I need to finish. Maybe we can do a little bit of an album together and and not just collaborating in our pubs, clubs and venues, but in our cities, you know, and working with our promoters and giving them a call and not just saying, when is the next gig, saying, what can I do to help? How can we work with each other? Where are the things we could do together, you know? If it's jam sessions that we need to do to get the public to get a bit of a taste, if ticket sales we need to slash to some extent so that because people are scared yeah wearing masks and sanitizer and sanity is gone with a sanitizer so uh, getting the audiences back into the spaces i think they want to come but it's going to be gradual yeah the emphasis for me is going to be on collaboration and networking in in real ways you know from local venues so it's good to see you playing at uh very nice local venue on Saturday, and I'm so <laughs> glad it's still alive. Many of us were worried that space like the Radium and many other of our stalwarts are not going to be there. And if we can encourage people to attend, yes, God, yes. yes. So in small ways, let's rebuild the sector. I think it's going to be more difficult for the big festivals. Mm. I feel sorry for the Kaka and Ka National Arts Festival and many of those that are big funded spaces because it's much more difficult. Yeah. So I think small is beautiful. We're going to start with the pubs, clubs. What we do as Concert SA is that we do a venues fund as well. So we've been supporting some promoters and some venues, and the list is on the website. But I think as artists, don't be so hard on the promoters and the venue owners. The bottom lines have been slashed to pieces. Yeah. People's pockets are empty, so find ways of creating interesting stuff with them so we can build consumption again wonderful before we ask you contact details local performer that is doing something interesting that you think people should go and have a listen to these two guys is a uh, les javan i don't know if you know of les acoustic guitar plays goma in cape town and used to be in cape town now based in johannesburg and uh, sometimes just with a little bit of a trio plays in small venues, does a lot of interesting compositions for CakeNet and other production stuff. I was so surprised there was very few people at his last show, a really interesting uh, singer-songwriter. I think he's fabulous. And then there was a show, can I do another one? Yeah, please. Luanda Gokwana. It's 10 years of his song cycle. And he didn't just produce great CD, he produced a book of scores of uh, jazz standards. So if you go to his shows, you don't just buy a CD, you can buy a book of jazz standards, which anyone can then play. And he performed on Friday night at the jazz room at Topio. And my goodness, he's Sison Conti, 
He was the Stanobank Young artist. He was also in his band, Benjamin Jaffton bass, one of the best basses I think we have. Good drummer, good keyboard. I can't remember who that is. But the songwriting was amazing. The melodies was amazing. The, it was my wife's birthday and she was smiling. So thank you, Luanda. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so th- those are two I think that's interesting to look out for. We'll publish a list of the 50 or 80 or 100. Mm-hmm. And amongst those, I listened to some amazing stuff, but I can't say the names because the adjudicators haven't met. So that would be like, But when the names come out, have a look and Google some of those names and go to Music in Africa and look at the profiles. There is some bloody brilliant music, hip-hop and stuff also coming out. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. Now, people who want to apply for funding or have questions that they don't want to send me directly, that they want to go straight to you guys, where can people find out more? If it's on the Digital Mobility Fund, it's dmf at iksafrica.com. If it's a general question, hello at iksafrica.com. Mm. Much of the information and stuff is on our Facebook is more active than Twitter and some of the others. So that's uh, us directly, yeah? Okay. And it goes to a couple of us on the team. So one of us will be able to respond to it. Email is the best. Yeah? Okay, wonderful. And as you said before, Everyone that you hear who has any kind of funding opportunities available, follow, share, like, and just stay abreast, subscribe. Yes, and just another word, there's a guy named Shane Cooper, fantastic artist, bassist, but also he does online classes. Coming back to the earlier question, he does podcasts and he plays with a whole lot. And he does a lot of merchandise sales online as well. He's an interesting model to look at. So we post a lot of that kind of stuff on our Facebook page. And on our website. And read the research. Yes. Please, dudes, read the research. And then we can have informed discussions as well. Amazing. And participate in the survey. Participate in the survey. Apply for this stuff. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Tori. This will not be the last time. Thank you for your music work. What a pleasure. Thank you. If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Oh,